Welcome everyone to Celtic Preacher, podcast 19. And today we're going to be looking at a question that Jesus asked more than once. And the question is, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? But before we get to that application, because that's where we're going and that's where we're going to end up, I'm going to give you a little bit about the background of this amazing text. We're in Mark 10. Actually, we've been in Mark for the last several podcasts, if you've been following me. And it seems that in Mark 10, it's the Gospel of Mark, a lot of the time people are confused about Jesus, who he is, why he came, what he's looking for, what does it mean to actually follow Christ, all these. And these are the disciples that often struggle, his students, the closest ones to him, are often the ones that struggle the most. And we've been seeing this last two or three weeks that Jesus has been on this journey to Jerusalem with his students. And chronologically, it's very near the end of his life. And he's been trying to prepare James and John and Peter and all the followers. He's been been trying to prepare them for what will lie ahead because it's not going to be easy. And there's going to be some suffering involved, not just for him, but also for anyone who's connected to him. And we've already seen that in chapter 8, Peter one of his right-hand men insisted that suffering was completely out of the question. It wasn't necessary. Surely we don't have to do this. And then in chapter 10, we looked at the rich young man who said, well, I, I want to follow, but the cost is way too high. So no, he was out. He wasn't going to follow. And then last week, we saw the Zebedee brothers who were far more concerned about their influence and their power and their authority and having a cabinet position when Jesus reached his, you know, when he became the king rather than being a servant. So it's very interesting if you just follow along in chronological order. Everyone wants to be with Jesus, but it's on their own terms. Now, the reason that this is interesting is is because the patterns that we see in the New Testament, the patterns that we see in Mark's Gospel, are the same patterns that we follow today. So this isn't just about James and John and Mary, and this is about, this is common to people. Everyone wants to be with Jesus but it's on their own terms. And this is a trap that's common to people. In Jesus' day, it was a problem. Before Jesus' day, right up to the present day. Because it seems like we all come to God with a lot of expectations, a lot of false ideas. Uh, Some of us was just false teaching that we've picked up along the way. And and, And many times it's through no fault of our own. But I think a big part of this spiritual journey, spiritual healing, is dropping all the stuff that isn't really very helpful. So Peter, he said, well, I don't want any suffering. I don't want you to suffer, Jesus. I don't want to suffer. Well, in a way, that makes sense. The rich young man 
Well, yeah, he wanted to follow, but he didn't want to lose everything. I mean, isn't that a bit overboard? Well, yeah, that kind of makes sense too. And then James and John. Well, they didn't want to give up their ambition. That makes sense too. What's wrong with ambition? So in each case, all three are different, but Jesus targets an area, but Jesus targets that area that's, that holds each one back. The very thing they grasp onto needs to be dropped in order to follow. Now that is an overall, an arch, an overall spiritual pattern that we will experience this. This is, this is the way that God works with us. The things that hold us back will surface to be released and healed. And yeah, it's unpleasant. It's unpleasant. It's often painful. It does uh, cause suffering at various levels, but it's necessary. It's like getting the wound cleaned. You know, if you've ever hurt yourself and you have to have that wound cleaned, well, on a spiritual, emotional, psychological level, the same thing happens as we begin to grow in our faith, grow in our trust of God. You know, everybody wants a little bit of Jesus, but as soon as it gets uncomfortable or a little bit too challenging or it starts to interfere with the plans I have for my life, they back off. Well, that's what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Now, in this passage this morning, we finally meet someone who gets it, a real disciple, a true model student, and his name is Bartimaeus. Now, of course, Bartimaeus is not going to be what we expect. Anytime someone is lifted up as an example, they're usually the last person that we would think in the New Testament. So Bartimaeus, he, we can learn a lot from him. He's, uh, he's a beggar, he's blind, and he lives in Jericho. He is poor, obviously. No position, no authority. He hears that Jesus is nearby and he begins to shout out at the top of his voice when he sees, when he hears Jesus walking by, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it's loud. I mean, he's, he's yelling out, at the top of his voice because the others around him are be quiet, be quiet. They're trying to keep him quiet. I mean, he's just a beggar by the side of the road. Who's he, who does he think he is? He's yelling out at the top of his voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Kyrie eleison. Kyrie eleison. Which you might have heard that phrase before. Kyrie eleison. Lord, Kyrie eleison. Have mercy. New Testament Greek, the, the passage was written. New Testament was written in, the, in, in Greek. And as far as we know, this is the first time someone has asked Jesus for mercy. This is the first time as far as is written down. He's not asking for healing, right? Not yet. He's not asking, uh, what can I do for you? Like James and John last week. He's not asking, what do I need to do to follow you? Like the rich young man from the week before. 
Well, all he's doing is asking for mercy. And he's yelling it out at the top of his voice and Jesus' ears are tuned to the cries of mercy. And he stops and he calls them over. He hears his cry, he stops. Mark 10 verse 50, he calls them over. Bartimaeus is so eager that Mark, the author of the book, mentions that he springs up and he throws his cloak off. So it's like just a tiny detail, but it kind of shows you that Bartimaeus, he doesn't want to be encumbered with anything. And he goes up to Jesus. And there he is standing in front of Jesus. He's, he's blind, he's poor, he's eager. He's got this desire for mercy. And it's almost like, it's almost like Bartimaeus knows, well, I can't give you anything, Jesus. I don't have anything, right? I can't actually do anything for you. I can't give you anything. All, I can, all I'm doing is, is I'm relying on your goodness. All I can do is I'm depending on your goodness. Now, Bartimaeus may be blind, but he has a lot of spiritual insight. So he stands before Jesus and Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Which is a very interesting question because isn't it obvious? There's the blind beggar standing before him, crying out, calling out for mercy. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Hmm. I mean, isn't that obvious? Well, maybe not. Maybe Jesus wants him to articulate what he needs. And the blind man says, my teacher, let me see again. Now, it's a loaded phrase that doesn't look like much in the English translation, but it's kind of a loaded little phrase here. That word, my teacher, that word is Rabboni. And it's only found twice in the gospel. That's the book of Mark. It's only found twice in all the gospels. So the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's only found twice in all these books. And these, bo- these are the books that tell us all about Jesus' birth and his life and his death. It's only found twice. The other time it's found is at the tomb with Mary Magdalene. Remember that? When it's Easter morning and she's there and she sees Jesus is alive and she calls him Rabboni. It's a very personal, intimate form of address. Rabboni. And Bartimaeus calls him son of David. And again, that doesn't mean much to us. We could skim over that. But the son of David, um, that was a loaded phrase also for century because the people had been waiting for centuries and centuries for God to send a Messiah from the royal line of David, from David's line. King David was a a famous king that all the Jewish people would know about King David. And the prophecy was that God would send a savior and it would come through this royal line. So when Bartimaeus is saying, son of David, it's like he's saying, I know who you are. I know who you are. I can see who you are. You're Messiah. 
You're the one that our people have been waiting for for centuries. For centuries we have longed for you to come and help us and save us. So he's got this a tremendous spiritual insight. He may not be able to see physically, but he's, he's, he sees spiritually. First and foremost, Bartimaeus is trusting in Jesus extending mercy. Now, if you're extending mercy towards someone, let's say you're extend well, or it could be uh, an animal, a pet. Let's say you're extending mercy towards someone or a pet. You desire to help, right? You want to be there. Your intentions are good toward someone. If you are, if you're extending mercy toward a person or an animal, you want what's good. You desire to help. Bartimaeus sees this quality in Jesus that many others have missed. And by using this intimate address, a Rabboni, Bartimaeus is showing he wants to enter into a relationship with Jesus. And the reason that this is important is, is because there's more going on here than a medical issue. Right? The medical issue is important, and of course he wants healed. But he's, he's looking for more than that. And again, I come back to this time and time again, it's interesting that Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus doesn't assume he knows what's best and just immediately heals him. He waits until Bartimaeus answers, my teacher, let me see again. It's like, oh, okay. So there's, there's the heart cry. That's what you want. And I think that this question is a good question to ask, to consider, to ponder, and to ultimately answer, because I think that there's a pattern here that's very, very helpful for us. Uh, Bartimaeus is modeling something for us here. Jesus asks, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? What do we want when we pray or when we cry out to God? Or when we become acutely aware of our need or our lack. When life is not going smoothly for us. When we're suffering in some way. What do we want? If Jesus asked you, what do you want me to do for you? How would you answer that? I mean, at first you might think, well, I just want my kids to be safe and happy. Just want my grandkids to grow up and be happy. And but if you keep on asking the question, an interesting thing happens. Because if you keep asking yourself the question, the answer begins to change. And you go deeper each time. I mean, the question itself, it can kind of work like an onion, you know, that you, the, the layers get peeled off. Another layer appears as you keep asking the question. So it's like Jesus is asking, what do you want me to do for you? The first answer isn't necessarily the core desire. 
Now, it may be, it may be, but so often we live on the surface and we skim over deeper needs. We skim over wounds. We skim over traumas. We skim over desires. That it's actually not always clear to us what we actually want, right? Because we can get stuck and distracted on surface issues. Like, I, I just need to get through college, and get this degree, or I just need to get this job, or I just need, what I really need is to, I need to buy this house and then have enough money. I need to find a good partner. Now, they're all good things. I don't really think that they're core, deep needs. There's nothing wrong with them. But I think that if we ask that question that Jesus is asking, other things start to surface. I think Jesus liked this question a lot because he was the exact same question that he asked James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Remember that? James and John, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? He asked James and John. And remember what they answered. It's like, yeah, we want to be your right-hand men. We want power. We want control. Want to be important, one at the right and one at the left. It's like, oh boy, I can't do that for you. <laughs> I mean, I wondered if James and John <laughs> reflected on that answer later. I wonder if they left his presence and thought, did we really ask him that? I mean, did we really actually ask him that, that we wanted to be in control? Oh, how embarrassing, you know? Well, we don't know if James and John reflected on it, but if they did, you could, they, could, they would see how shallow their desires were. And it would be a huge step forward for them. It would be an awakening, right? It would be the, I once was blind, but now I see type of moment, which is, I think, what this text is all about. Bartimaeus was already spiritually sighted. Bartimaeus could see. He saw he was a beggar. He saw he could offer nothing. He's coming empty-handed. It's that open stance before God that's wide open, open hands. He saw Jesus' mercy. He knew that healing was found in the Son of David. He knew who his hope rested upon. He had all that in place before he walked up to Jesus. He had all that in place. The disciples didn't. James and John and Peter didn't have this in place. He had all that in place. And that's why Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. What do you want me to do? My teacher, I want to say again, Go, your faith has made you well. And then, Mark tells us, Bartimaeus followed him on the way, meaning he became a disciple. He joined, he joined the group that day. He joined the others. He joined Peter and James and Peter and Mary. He started to follow him. He left his Jericho, his place where he was begging, and followed Jesus. Go, your faith has made you well. Now, let me just pause here because this can be easily misunderstood. It's 
it's because Bartimaeus sees Jesus for who he is that he's healed. So it's not about trying to remove all doubt so we believe. Then Jesus does what we want him to do. That's not the way that faith works. In fact, I think it's easier if you change the word faith to trust. I think you get a lot clearer understanding of how faith works. So try this. It's because Bartimaeus trusts Jesus as merciful, as the one who can help him, that he is healed. I think that when we trust, we always, always encounter healing. You know, I know it seems a strange thing to say, but it's kind of came clear to me this week. I think that when we trust, we always, always encounter healing at some level, in some way. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to be symptom-free. I'm not going to say that, you know, I trust God and I'm never going to have a sore back again or a sore head or whatever it is my symptoms are. But I do think it's fair to say that we always encounter healing. We always encounter mercy. We always encounter love because that's who God is, right? I mean, when we're trusting, when we're moving toward God or when we're opening ourselves to God, that's who God is. God is healing. God is love. God is mercy. God is the source of all these things. When I'm encountering love, I'm encountering healing. Because that's who God is. That there's nothing else to encounter, in other words. Does that make sense? So it's not because we can offer anything. It's not because we get it right, you know, we get our theology right, or we understand it all perfectly. It's not that. Or, you know, God help us if it was, right? I mean, we're all blind beggars, right? But when we go running, we're not going to be turned away, right? How could love turn away from you? How could the source of mercy turn away? It's impossible. It can't happen. Remember what it's John's gospel, God is love. So that question, you know, what do you want me to do for you, is worth reflecting upon. And I think it's worth reflecting upon over the course of several days. Because maybe our first answer isn't the core issue. Maybe something else will arise and show itself. Maybe the brokenness is not quite what we thought it was. Maybe the need isn't quite what we thought it was. What if we gain insight? What if we get some insight? What if we get some insight into something else? Something God, the author of mercy, desires to restore. Yeah, yeah, there's the heart cry. Show me where I need your healing touch. Show me where I need your healing touch. Well, thank you for joining me. You've been listening to Celtic Preacher, looking at Jesus' penetrating question, what do you want me to do for you? 
a question that continues to echo down throughout the centuries. Join with me next week for another episode of Celtic Preacher. <laughs>